December 31st, 2013. VGN Radio presents Kevin's Oblast Radio. I'm your host, Kevin. Welcome. Uh, haven't done one of these solo shows in quite a while, but there's been a lot of things that have been going on, and I thought I'd maybe throw something together to keep some people company while they're busy at their jobs. I don't know. Uh, one of the things that was on my mind immediately was the situation that's going on in the, uh, I think it's the North China Sea or the China Sea or, you know, I'm not really sure. It's basically the dispute over the islands between Japan and China, as well as the Philippines and Korea and Taiwan and, I mean, everybody, basically. And... It started off basically in a row because what happened was you had a uh, political situation in Japan where the um, the leadership doesn't want to be bullied by the Chinese and uh, they had an, uh, some islands that, you know, there's lots of islands all over the place and some of these things are just Nobody lives on them, nobody goes there or anything, <clears throat> but they, um, you know, if you own an island, you have maritime rights and you have mineral rights to everything below the island and in its general vicinity. And, you know, it used to be that anything off your shore uh, was about 20 miles out. So you owned everything 20 miles from shore. These days, I think it's something like 100 miles from uh, the island, um, because, you know, 20 miles, realistically, in a war situation, if, say, the Russians, you know, surfaced a submarine 20 miles offshore, they could obliterate just about anything. You know, 100 miles at least gives you some time and gives you some air protection and all that sort of stuff. It's 20 miles is not a lot of room to maneuver. 100 miles is much easier. So, anyway, uh, but, of course, you know, the rest of the world is sort of involved in that sort of thing as well. Now, so what happened was, is I guess, these islands were privately owned or something, and uh, the Japanese government decided to basically incorporate them into Greater Japan, claiming that they were theirs. Um, China says, no, those are ours. Those have been ours forever. Whatever. It doesn't matter, really. The island is completely... Uh, you know, trivial to the whole thing. It's mostly about uh, rights and um, to the, you know, to the potential uh, resources that are under those islands. But even less than that, what this is about is um, muscle flexing. It's about who has um, the respect in order to, um, you know, enforce their own uh, territorial integrity. And it's a very dangerous situation right now. Uh, because, look, we've flown over there a couple of times to China and said, hey man, cool down, chill out. We don't want to just, you know, disrupt stuff. There's a lot of trade deals on the table. We don't want to, uh, you know, nobody wants a war. We don't want to get into a fight over this. Let's just ease down. Let's look for a civil way to uh, to have this happen. And the Chinese are always like, all right, you know, that's cool, man. We don't want to go to war with you because we realize that, 
you know, we'd have to go to war with the United States as well if they invade Japan because we have treaties in place. And if China decides to attack Japan, we have to attack China. And you're talking, you know, I'm not saying World War Three because that would mean it's a the whole world would be at war and that wouldn't be the case here, but it would be a serious situation. Um, but you have this really complex thing. See, the, the, the nice thing about going over to China and talking to them, and, and they have a communist country, they have a one-party system, there's no other political party coming out and saying, hey, you, you're just going to do that, you're just going to bow down and let them, or we're going to run against you because we're not wimpy like you guys are. Um, so the nice thing is, is when the Chinese government says, well, that we're not going to do anything about it, then you pretty much can, you know, assume at least that they're not going to do anything about it. The problem is, is though, is that um, Japan is still a, a democratic system. And so they have political parties saying, you're just going to take that. You're just going to take, you're going to sit there and take that. You got to, you better do something about it or you're not going to be in power next year. So, you know, then they have to start having these flotillas and going over there and flying ships around and, then China says, hey, we're going to create an air freaking zone. So, you know, if anybody flies into our air zone, we're going to, you know, intercept them. And, uh, you know, so then other people have to go like us. The United States have to go fly through their air zone over these islands. And it's one of the oldest reasons that wars ever sta- um, started was these land grabs. Back in the day, you would grab land because of mines or, or um, mines or, uh, you know, land for just for your people to have new farmland and to find riches and spices and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, over the years, all that stuff's been claimed. And uh, there was plenty of resources under the ground for everybody to exploit. And getting the stuff at the bottom of the ocean wasn't really easy or even possible to do in many cases, depending on what you were going after. Um, you know, your general offshore oil rigs that, you know, they were only able to go so deep and uh, get so much, and so they weren't really cost-effective. But nowadays, I mean, you can go miles down and get stuff. So all of a sudden, all of this uh, offshore um, mineral rights becomes really important. But again, it's it's um, the money involved versus a war is just, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't make sense, folks. I just want you to know that... Um, even if you pull in a billion dollars in oil, you know, or or ten billion dollars in oil, the amount of money you will pay to fight in a war is going to far exceed that. So those mineral rights are really not that important to a country. It is, you know, something they want for sure. You know, that's probably one of the reasons why Japan decided to claim those islands. Um, but it's really just about saying, you know, our country is important and we are allowed to do what we like because we're an important country. We're not going to listen to you, na 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 na, honey boo boo. So, what's going to happen? What's going to happen here? This is a situation that is very, very difficult to figure out right now because uh, there's important trade stuff going on, and some of that is getting disrupted because of this um, situation. But it's only going to take um, the wrong, uh, one more wrong thing to really ratchet up the uh, the rhetoric. And look, we can fly over there and have ten more conversations before a war breaks out, and most likely that's what's going to happen. Um, 
the Japanese prime minister recently um, went to the World War II graves or whatever, and that's always seen as a big, um, it's a memorial actually, but it's always seen as a big, like, uh, slap in the face to China. China's angry about that now, and, um, you know, they're they're not really saying too much about what their next move is going to be. Um, and neither are the Japanese. And then you got all these other players on the sidelines. But realistically, your Vietnam, your uh, your Philippines, um, your people in Taiwan and stuff—they don't have the muscle to really um, enforce any sort of um, uh, territorial uh, claim on on this on this land. But they can do it politically. They can go in front of the UN and say, "Hey, we own this too." And um, you know, this is the sort of things that the United Nations normally just sits there and tries to deal with, and it takes, you know, 25 years before anybody just freaking gives up, and nothing's ever going to get done on that island. It's going to become no man's land um, if things continue. Uh, however, things could also escalate. I mean, militarily, um, the threat is uh, a situation which is causing Japan to consider arming up. And... Um, you know, we provide their protection, but their protection from us is somewhat limited because, you know, realistically, they don't have the ability to strike back. And so if, say, North Korea or China or somebody hit Japan and we then said to Japan, well, you know, that's terrible for you guys. Um, we've told them not to do it again, um, but, you know, we're sorry that you lost that part of your country. Uh, Japan, I think, really kind of wants the ability to, to like, to, um, yeah, to go to war, to to be able to uh, to hit back and say, you know, you hit us, we're going to hit you. It's um, it's commonly how it works, and um, you know, the United States has uh, been a bit wishy washy, I think, when it comes to um, global co- conflicts because we. Um, we're not really good at deciding what the fuck we're doing. Okay? I mean, Afghanistan, we're not really good at deciding what we're doing in that country. Um, we're going to be there, I think, for the next 50 years. The one thing you can say about it is that the Taliban thought we were like the Soviet Union and we would eventually retreat that country. They completely underestimated U.S. bureaucracy in the fact that we could sit there forever and be in their country forever and it didn't matter what they would do to us. Um, because even if it goes bad, then we just get more like, uh, interested in staying because, you know, we just feel as though the, we don't want to lose a war, you know, Vietnam was like, uh, in a, you know, an unusual situation because the, um, we got out, we left you know, after a lot of um, people wanted us to get out of Vietnam. But Vietnam was very um, unclear in terms of what was the, um, what, what the Vietnamese people wanted. You know, you had a country in two, two halves, but the northern half was very determined because... It was a truly independent country, even though it seems odd because that was the communist side, which wouldn't allow people their freedoms. 
but because, you know, they were a dominated people that eventually ran, you know, French farms and all this other stuff that um, they didn't want, you know, colonialists and um, even the United States coming in and saying, you know, uh, that this is how your government is and this is how it's going to be set up to be and etc. So the heart and, uh, and the soul of the people, even though a lot of South Vietnamese fought, it died in order to try and keep that uh, way of life. Um, it was very difficult because, the, you know, the country as a whole mostly just rejected the idea of um, what we had gone in there to do. And they wanted to basically have a revolution, which is what a lot of communist um, ideas were based around. I mean, you know, Cuba was a revolution and um, Laos was a revolution and... Uh, there was other ones that never really, you know, Angola and all that sort of stuff that never really sprang into true communism, etc. Um, North Korea wasn't really a revolution. That was more of a, that was just a UN war between communists and, um, I guess, the free people of the world. But anyway, uh, so, Japan just wants to be able to hit back. And the uh, the Chinese, you know, they have a lot of um, technology, they have a lot of manpower. Their biggest problem, though, is they don't have a flotilla. They don't have a way of getting across the water. And they're working on it. But, you know, I read this really interesting article about the United States. And the fact of the matter is, is that if all the countries in the entire world decided to go to war with the United States, just all the countries, every single one, take out nuclear weapons, okay, no nukes, and you had every single country in the world going against the United States. They couldn't. They couldn't beat us. We'd wipe the floor with them. And you might be sitting there going, "Well, how's that possible? That doesn't sound true." Well, in fact, it's it's very true because the United States is the only country that has the ability to pick up and move people and land them onto another country across the globe. Okay, there's no country that has you know, the ability to move all of the ships over here and unload their troops. We'd, you know, first of all, we'd sink the shit out of them. All right. They don't have the, they don't have a way, they don't have a fleet that can come over and knock out our um, ability to knock out theirs. I mean, obviously our entire Navy is tremendously large and will just, you know, pulverize anything, but our air force and everything else, I mean, you could fill up, like, oil tankers and put people on them and then drive them over, but we'll sink them. We'll just sink them all day. They'll never get here. And there's not enough. There's not enough. All the navies in the world don't have... Like, the United States has... I always bring this up. Currently has 10 active aircraft carriers. I think it's 11 now, again, because we just recently watched... Was it the, the Washington? Um, and uh, we've got a few more... Um, in production currently, and I don't think they're going to be active. I think we're going to deactivate one and then reactivate another one. So I think we're going to have a standing aircraft carrier fleet of um, uh, 11 carriers. And when I talk about an aircraft carrier, it is an entire battle group when you're talking about an aircraft carrier. You're talking about missile frigates, submarines, um, you know, I don't even know if they use destroyers anymore today because everything's got a weird name, you know. But um, you have all of this stuff, and it... Um, it's a big roving, you know, it's like a city, you know, with different buildings floating around in the ocean. And um, we have 11 of these things on active duty right now, just driving around the ocean. And 
all of the countries in all of the world, if you put all of their navies together, they have 15 aircraft carriers. And most of those aircraft carriers are not very good and they're very old. And um, not 50, 15. And we have like 11 modern ones. So they just couldn't do it. They couldn't hit us. Nobody can. China can't get to us. Nothing. Now, of course, nuclear weapons can. Uh, missiles can. Um, Air Force, no way. I mean, nobody has the budget and or the ability to, you know, build anything. The only people that have anything are the um, the Russians, and they're dated, uh, extremely dated. And uh, But they can get into our airspace. They're fast. I mean, these are jets. We're not expecting them to fly over here. They certainly can. They can certainly drop bombs on us. They could hit us. Um, but realistically, it, it would never happen. So, you know, we're we're well protected. But you have countries like China. They don't have anything like this, okay? They can't drive over to Japan and unload their troops. And um, China, Japan can't do the same to China. It just can't happen. So you're talking about a war of, um, essentially, it would be uh, planes and bombs and ships, like just missiles flying over and stuff, and just weird sort of... Um, it's just a weird way of thinking about war because uh, you're not really invading, right? You're not. It's not like the World War II where you'd get all your troops together and run over there and plant a flag. This is more just like a war of punishment. It would be a war of just um, you're going to destroy our buildings, well, we're going to destroy your buildings too. I mean, think of North Korea. If North Korea shot something over at us and uh, was able to do it, they weren't shooting at us in order to, um, you know, uh, take over. Right? They would just shoot at us in order to inflict damage. And we could do the same thing to them. We could destroy all of their crap. But, you know, even with the United States, I mean, we go over to Iraq and we go over to Afghanistan. Um, generally, we invade. Now, that's not all the time we invade. Uh, you know, many times we've done just bombing campaigns um, in order to inflict punishment. And it seems like the rest of the world is moving more and more towards that type of a situation. And it's quite possible that China and Japan could get into uh, a deeper pile of muck um, over this um, territorial integrity rights. So, I don't know. I'm watching it with a lot of um, interest. It continues to get worse. Uh, it continues to um, escalate. And it's a bit of a concern, man. Um, so keep an eye on it. I'm going to keep an eye on it, too. Another thing to keep an eye on is the uh, MERS virus, the coronavirus that's going on in um, the Middle East. You probably don't hear much about it because it's only going on in the Middle East. And um, American journalists don't really understand uh, biological diseases until they're, you know, something that they can put on film, take pictures of. Um, but basically you have a, uh, a virus which has killed about half the people that have been infected with it. It started off with a small number of people um, in the UAE and uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, and I think it also um, had people in Qatar. And basically about, yeah, 50% have died. It started off with just, you know, a few. Then it was 20. I think now like 100 and something people got it. I think so. Something like 60 something people died. I haven't looked at the statistics lately. Um, and the World Health Organization... Um, has declared it an absolute emergency that they absolutely have to find a way to stop this thing because it is, um, you know, it's killing half the people that get it. Now, how are people getting it? Some people are pointing to camels. Seriously, they're saying the camels got it, but they don't really know if the camels caught it or the camels are distributing it. You know what I mean? Because um, they're not quite sure 
uh, what's going on, basically. And you're dealing with a part of the world that's really difficult to, you know, get um, a bead on, you know, these little villages and things, what, um, who ate what and what went where and all this sort of stuff. But it's, uh, it's a virus that, you know, is contagious probably by coughing on somebody. Um, but so far has not run rampant all over the place in terms of, you know, getting out of the country and getting into a modern country like the United States. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a serious thing. Let's see if I can find some statistics. Hang on one second. Okay. So the CDC has a page for it now. It's called the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS. And it says, as a viral respiratory illness first reported in Saudi Arabia in 2012, it is caused by a coronavirus called MERS-CoV, very original. Most people who have been confirmed to have MERS-CoV infection develop severe acute respiratory illness. They had fever, cough, and shortness of breath. About half of these people died. I gotta tell you folks, half is a huge number in terms of, uh, you know, diseases that kill people. I mean, that's like, that's a, I mean, think about it. You catch it, you got a 50-50 chance of just dying in like a couple of weeks. I mean, wow. And it's not like they can give you something for it. Like, here you go. It's a virus. There's no cures for viruses. They don't have pills for viruses. Your body just has to beat it. So it's a 50-50 chance flip of a coin. It's fucking nuts. You know, so far, all the cases have been linked to six countries in or near the Arabian Peninsula. No cases have been identified in the U.S. This virus has spread from ill people to others through close contact. However, the virus has not shown to spread in a sustained way in communities. The situation is still evolving. CDC has worked with partners to better understand, blah, blah, blah. So, they're not quite sure how it's spreading. They don't quite know. But, like, here's an, one hour ago, okay, this is on the GMA News Online, which is the, um, I don't know, the Filipino news or something, but it's, this is actually from Reuters. And it says, this is an hour ago, okay, it's December 31st, 2013, this is an hour ago. It says, London, another five people in Saudi Arabia and one in the United Arab Emirates have become infected with the potentially deadly Middle East Respiratory Syndrome MERS virus. The World Health Organization said on Tuesday, today. The new infections, including one fatal case in a 73-year-old Saudi man and three in Saudi health workers who showed no adverse symptoms, bring the total confirmed cases of the respiratory disease to 176, of which 74 have died, the United Nations Health Agency said. MERS emerged in the Middle East in 2012 and is from the same family as the SARS virus. It can cause coughing, fever, and pneumonia. Although the worldwide number of MERS infections is fairly small, the more than 40% death rate among confirmed cases and the spread of the virus beyond the Middle East is keeping scientists and public health officials on alert. Cases have been reported in Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Kuwait, Jordan, United Arab Emirates, Oman, and Tunisia, as well as in several countries in Europe. And scientists are increasingly focused on a link between the human infections and camels as a possible animal reservoir of the virus. In a disease outbreak, the World Health Organization said the new confirmed case of MERS in the United Arab Emirates was in a 59-year-old woman, the wife of a man previously confirmed as being infected. Although she has no adverse symptoms, she is in hospital in isolation. Yeah, I mean, they just throw you in isolation. They had one guy in um, uh, bleh, London came in, had it. He uh, went into isolation. I don't know if he died, but he was pretty bad off. I think... Uh, 
a, a little girl or something had it as well. Um, yeah, but it's serious. I mean, you know, maybe it's just killing old people. I don't know. Maybe it's um, engineered to only attack people in the um, in the Middle East because of camels. Uh, I tend to think that camels these days aren't that. Um, you know, they're it, they're probably like horses in the United States in the sense that like not everybody's out riding around on a camel. You don't see a camel every day. Um, you know, you run into a camel, you, you know, you're like, oh, it's a camel. But, you know, it's, I don't think that they're just like everywhere you walk, there's camels. You know, that's like television and stuff. I mean, some parts there are, of course. I'm not saying, you know, that's like if you go out to like farmland, of course, there's freaking horses everywhere. But you're talking about major cities and stuff. I don't think there's like a whole lot of camels going on, you know, but I don't know. What the fuck do I know? Uh, I do know though that I don't want that virus and it could be a really really serious thing you know i was listening to the um, we're alive podcast and i was thinking to myself you know it's pretty interesting you know the whole zombie uh outbreak if you haven't listened to that podcast you should it's a good story um it's like broken up into 20 minute blocks it's like an acted out sort of zombie like smart zombie type of apocalypse thing but the um i just thought about it and i said you know if you did a story kind of like the stand i guess but the stand is a little bit too fictional um where there was an actual disease outbreak that was highly contagious um, and, it, you know, kills you if you get it or most likely will kill you if you get it. Uh, that could be a really interesting story in and of itself. I mean, you would probably not go out. You would probably not go grocery shopping. You would not go anywhere. I mean, if MERS was floating around, and it was it was found to be spread by, um, you know, human contact. You, you wouldn't go out. You wouldn't. You wouldn't go to work. I mean, I I sure as fuck wouldn't. Are you kidding me? The boss would be like, "Well, nobody here has it right now." I'd be like, "I'm gonna work from home, okay?" Because um, I'm not dying. Um, I would be afraid. I would I would be worried about picking up the gas pump. Uh, you know, you'd be wearing gloves. You'd have a mask on your face the whole time. Um, and especially if it's seasonal, I mean, if it's like the flu where we couldn't get rid of it and we couldn't cure it and it was way worse than the flu and it came back every year in a different, um, in a different way and just started wiping people out. Uh, yeah, I mean, think, you know, you'd probably have communities of that would probably have to be locked off and like your development or your apartment building or whatever it was would have to be. You know, you'd have to have testing and screen to get through doors um, to get places. And then, God forbid, anybody has a cough, you know, um, you'd be, like, completely isolated. People would be freaked out. It'd be fucked up. It'd be fucked up. And then if somebody is, like, family had it, um, you know, everybody else in the community would stay away from that family. Um, you wouldn't expect the uh, the family members to probably make it out of it alive. Um so you wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. You'd probably want to just quarantine off their house. You'd probably send armed uh, police or guards to make sure nobody left the house because they'd spread it and kill people. And, I mean, it would be like, you know, terrorism in a way. I mean, if you had one sick person walk through the New York, you know, uh, Times Square or subway system, you could fucking wipe out most of New York City. Um, I mean, a, a virus like MERS inside New York would be... You know, again, if it was spread through, like, a sneeze, could be completely devastating. I mean, it would just destroy the country. In fact, that was one of the things I was thinking about the other day. 
as well. And this is going to be the last thing I talk about on this episode. Um, if you live in New York, you should think about moving. Uh, if you work there and I, you can't move, I understand. But if you ever have the opportunity to leave, you should leave. Um, because I was thinking about the long-term sort of, uh, you know, threat to the to New York City. And look, there's people around the world actively planning on destroying New York City. There's governments in the world that have plans on the board to destroy New York City. They're not going to necessarily do them. Um, but if their country is attacked, they might fire their one missile. And what are they going to hit? They're going to hit Washington. They're going to hit New York. And if they're on the other side, they're going to hit Los Angeles. Um, but the problem with New York is it's too congested. It's too congested. And any kind of like mega devastation that hits New York City is going to basically cause all of the people there to be, you're going to be dead. Especially if it's disease. I mean, somebody flies over and impacts that country with some sort of disease, you know, sprays it like they talked about after 9-11 or whatever. Um, you just, I don't know how you're going to get the fuck out of that place. I mean, because most people don't have a car. You have to get on public transportation um, or you have to get, a, you know, a taxi or something and therefore, you know, converse with somebody else and try to get out of there that way. And if you have any kind of disruption, I mean, if that sort of thing happened, nobody's going to come into the city. So all of a sudden, all your food's going to run out. Um, you know, the military is only going to do so much for you. It will be guys in gas masks coming in just like in the movies and such. But in order to deal with that many people, it's insanity. It's not going to be. It's not going to be able to happen. And it's like it's kind of like I see it as sort of like how the World Trade Center was first attacked in the basement by the truck bomb, and then it exploded, and there was that crazy uh, guy with the missing eyeball and everything, and he was all talking a bunch of smack. And everybody was like, that guy was crazy, and let's get him out of here. Meanwhile, our government knew that this was part of a larger organization, which, you know, had um, its intention on uh, creating a lot more havoc. And rather than telling everybody in the United States about it, um, they kept it to themselves so that we would all go shopping still. And so... Then what happened was, instead of police and airports and everything being ready to look into these things and check out people for terrorism, you know, we had 9-11 happen. And so then the government now has built this huge, giant apparatus of uh, stuff to spy on Americans and hopefully spy on these people in these other countries. But realistically, if somebody has MERS in the Middle East, there's no test for it right now. And if it's found to be contagious through just sneezing, you're talking about people that are suicide bombers. They're just going to put some guys in there, get them the sickness, and fly them over into the United States. And they're not, we're not going to know anything about it, right? And this guy is just going to walk around and touch doorknobs and, um, uh, you know, sneeze and cough and um, roll around. And, you know, he's going to be in the subway and... Um, and they could use, they could send a whole bunch of them because you could just get guys with no records just coming in and doing this kind of thing. And you end up losing 50% of the population is going to be an absolute freaking total devastation. And I think that these diseases are only going to get worse because we continue to use these antibiotics and these, um, uh, sanitizers and things, which are causing all of these bacteriums and uh, viruses to get stronger. 
And so now we're running into these new killers that our medicine is not able to, to deal with. And, man, if you're in New York City, you should, you know, look, you're looking for a job. You find work. Somebody says, hey, I got work for you here. It's over in uh, Florida or it's in Texas or it's in, um, I don't know, Arkansas. Who the fuck knows? Maybe they have businesses in Arkansas. But, you know, if that's an option for you, consider it is what I'm, is all I'm saying. I'm not saying pack up your family and move in some panic because we don't know when stuff like this could or would happen. But I think you're playing some really bad odds staying in that staying in that city um, because it's just a target and it is too highly congested. I mean, if you think about diseases in general, just think about petri dishes and um, you know dropping something in. You know, it's going into the most congested part. It's going to infect and um, devastate the most congested part. Now, yes, there's going to be some sample that is going to survive, and those will go on and breed and create the people that are strong, and they aren't going to be impacted by the MERS virus. But you're playing a 50-50 chance. Your family, 50-50 chance. Um, your folks, if they're old, they're probably not going to make it. If you got young children, they're probably not going to make it. Uh, and it's just a matter of time. That if I'm sitting here on the radio thinking about how a terrorist could catch this virus and come over to the United States, you know the terrorists are sitting there. They've already thought of it. And, um, you know, they just haven't, the flu hasn't worked so well. Um, waiting around for the H1N1. But now we've got MERS, we have SARS. Um, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. And eventually something really bad is going to come over there. And if it's not that, it's going to be a freaking, it's going to be like a nuclear bomb because uh, we're not really stopping the spread of nuclear um, weapons and we're not really um, preventing them from uh, being in countries' hands like um, India just recently is expanding their um, enrichment facilities and um, we seem as though we're going to allow Iran to go ahead and enrich as long as they don't build a bomb. Uh, Yeah. And so it's just a matter of time. It's just all it is. We, we don't have any way of intercepting this or stopping it. Um, we're sort of making our, you know, we're making it all, and then we're just going to stand around and go, what happened? We can't believe what happened. You let us down, and oh, my God, we're sorry. We're going to go ahead and hire more police officers, and um, we're going to take more of your money in order to make this so it can't happen again, but New York City has been leveled. I don't think that'll necessarily happen. I think getting a nuclear weapon into the United States though not impossible, is very difficult. And um, it doesn't leave much in the way of response. You know, it's kind of like you get it over here and you blow up New York City, and then your country and where you live is just going to be freaking, you know, vaporized because we will respond and we'll we'll, we'll level it. And that'll be the end of it. Um, And you can generally tell where all nuclear weapons originate from somehow through the uranium so, or whatever, the nuclear fuel or whatever it is, the radiation somehow tells them where that came from. So we know. We know if it's China. We know if it's Russia. We know We know where it's come. We know where it came from. And so, most likely not that. But disease, I mean, what are you going to do? You can trace it back. You can kind of trace it back. You can say, well, uh, you know, Samir came over on the plane and uh, from the UAE, and he didn't know anything about it, and he just happened to go on a tour bus through New York City, and he was coughing the whole time, and now, uh, you know, 
700,000 people have it, 300,000 people have died this week, and it's spreading. I mean, that's a worst-case scenario, but it's a real scenario based on the statistics of that one virus. Something really serious to think about. Do I think we're at end times and all that kind of stuff? No. Uh, But I do not think medical science is advancing fast enough to deal with these particular threats. And I think if you're going to have any sort of a solution for yourself, if anything like this ever happened, um, you know, that whole like storing food in the cellar and water and all that sort of stuff, I mean, you could do that, but I don't necessarily put much stock in that because that food storage that you have, how long is that going to last you? It's not going to last you very long. And, um, Look, if people start falling over dead, their houses are going to be filled with food anyway, so you might as well just go grab what they've got. Um, But what I would probably invest in is some rather basic, um, you know, surgical masks, uh, cleansing stuff, you know, alcohol and um, some antibacterials and things. Not to use now, not to walk around with that crap now. But to have it in the event of a problem, because, you know, when it does go down, you want to be prepared. You want to be prepared for your family and stuff, and you want to be able to say, okay, kids, here, you got to put this mask on, wash your hands, put on these gloves, um, and uh, let's get in the car, and let's go, you know, let's get out of town. That kind of thing. It's pretty simple, you know. Let's get to Grandma's house. But, you know, let's get it in a way that um, you're able to travel and not have a, a guy you know, a, a toll booth cough on your hand or something, you know, or hand you a dirty dollar and you touch it with your bare hands. And the next thing you know, you've infected your whole family. So, you know, those are things you should probably think about. It's just a good idea because, you know, all the literature is out there. You can go on the web, you can look this stuff up, you can see, you know, they report on these things all the time that we don't have too many good antibacterials left. We've got kids in schools having like flesh-eating viruses um, that, you know, they're closing schools down, they're, they're sanitizing them. Uh, we're running out of options, and we're running out of them relatively quickly. I mean, this stuff is new, and um, we don't really have much in the way of a response. And part of the problem is is that if you get an antibacterial, uh, especially, that is too good, it'll kill you. So it's very hard for um, science to come up with new ones that can you can take that'll kill the bacterial in your system that's a bad one. And then meanwhile allow you to continue with your good bacteria. It's fucked up. So, you know, the best thing you can do is prevent yourself from getting it in the first place. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily think you should, you know, you, you obviously wash your hands and stuff. But they say, you know, you shouldn't use all these hand sanitizers. I kind of believe that. I think soap and water does a good enough job. Um, but when the shit hits the fan, you want to have that extra stuff there and ready. Uh, because, um, and you get it now. Because, you know, you try to order it later. Um, the UPS guy is going to deliver it and he's going to be coughing on your package. Uh, it's going to be packed by somebody that's probably got it. Uh, you know, and, and it's going to cost you like 10 times more. I mean, it's not a big deal. You got a medical kit in your cabinet right now, you know, throw some extra things in it, order some stuff, put some stuff in there. I'm not selling you anything. I'm just saying it's probably a good idea. Be prepared. You know, it's, and then if you don't ever use it, you got a great Halloween costume. You know what I mean? Put on some rubber gloves and a surgical mask. And uh, put on some scrubs and you can go out and be a doctor for Halloween. So your bases are covered. All right, that's it for Kevin Zoblast Radio. Thanks for listening. Um, We do have a whole bunch of guests eventually coming on here once they get my mom's house and stuff straight away. So we'll uh, get that going on. And so be looking for more shows. Thanks. Take it easy. Later.